Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Today, we're going to be looking into the Old Covenant. I normally say covenant instead of testament. There's not a problem with the word testament, but we are in a covenant relationship with God. So we're looking back into the Old Covenant that some call the Tanakh or the Hebrew Scriptures. And as we're looking back in this series that may take several months or even go in past a year's time, we're going to go chronologically through the prophets in the Old Covenant. We're going to start with Obadiah. Its traditional dating is around 845 B.C. in the 9th century B.C. After that, we're going to be going to the prophet Joel. After that, to Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah. And then after the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, we're going to be looking at Zephaniah. Then Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and a book that goes along with Jeremiah, Lamentations. We're also going to be looking at Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Nahum. And then we're going to be going to Ezekiel and Daniel that are living in exile after the Babylonian uh, destruction of Judea. We're going to be looking at the post-exilic prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and then the last one that's going to come much later in the 5th century, around 430 B.C., Malachi. We're going to go chronologically as best as possible. There are some debates on dating of these books, say, for example, with Obadiah, to the nation of Edom. And let's talk a little bit about Edom. Alan, what are some things about Edom that you know? I know I'm catching you on the spot, but something about Edom that you can share. Well, Edom, they are the descendants of Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. Um, And then, you know, Esau gave away his birthright to Jacob. And it seems like even when they were in that time, when just both of them were kids, there was a jealousy. There was always a bit of tension between them. Um, And the Edomites being the descendants of Esau carried that over to the Israelites, um, the descendants of Jacob. And a lot of conflict through the years, even though they're brothers. Now, in a Middle Eastern context, cousins are considered brothers. They're called brothers, just like a grandson is called a son. Contextually, cousins are considered brothers. So the Edomites, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and the Israelites are brothers. And let's go back to what you mentioned about the birthright. When we look at the story of Esau and Jacob and the deception that Jacob used in order to go after the birthright, When you read it in Hebrew, when it talks about the birthright to Esau, what it actually and literally says is that the birthright had no value to Esau. And when you understand it from that perspective, Esau was a self-made individual. He had his own kingdom. He had his own family. He had great possessions. He was a great hunter. He was a nation to himself. So when it came to his father's birthright, it didn't have any value. When I was growing up, I thought, how could he give away the blessing of his father for some soup? Yes, he was hungry. Yes, to the point of death, he needed some food. But it literally says that 
it had no value to Esau. And if we can understand it in this context, say you have a father that raises two sons and this family becomes a nice family, a wealthy family, but out of that, the oldest son becomes, say the father is a millionaire, but the son becomes a billionaire. He has more wealth than the father. He is self-sufficient. He has everything that he needs. He's become self-sufficient, his own family. Families became nations at that time. And now when the birthright comes, the blessing, it has no value. He has everything that he needs. But Jacob was not a self-sufficient individual, and he was willing to lie and to deceive to get the birthright. It had value to him. And people look at Esau, and they look at Jacob, and they say, who's better? I mean, look at Jacob, how deceptive he was. And, and, but when you really look at the value of the birthright to Jacob versus the value of the blessing to Esau, that really separated the two of what was important to them. And so going all the way back when Jacob stole the blessing from Abraham that should have gone to Esau, but it came to Jacob, that conflict started right there. Even though later on there's a coming together of the two, you see that conflict through the centuries that has built. Now the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. The descendants of Jacob are the Israelites. And then we see them living side by side. We see the conflict throughout the centuries. And from their descendants, there is a hatred that has built throughout the centuries. Now we come into the ninth century, and there is a coalition between the Philistines and Arab clans that is coming against Judea and more specifically against Jerusalem. And here this attack is going on, and we see this in the book of Kings. And we see this attack taking place, and Jerusalem is overrun. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem are having to flee. And the Edomites are their brother. We look at this. The Edomites should be helping them, should be mourning for them, should be trying to protect them during this attack that's coming against their brother. But as we go through this book, we'll understand they're not helping them, they're not mourning, but they're celebrating and they're participating in the destruction of their brother. And such a strong judgment is going to come through the prophet Obadiah against the Edomites. Now, we do not know much about Obadiah. We don't know much about his background or things of that nature, but we do know that his name means the servant of the Lord. And as we look at his prophecy, we'll allow his prophecy to speak for itself and allow the principles that come out. First of all, we're going to look at what it meant, what is the original intent, what is God saying to the Edomites, and we're going to take those principles and apply it to our lives today. This, again, is around 845 B.C., according to the traditional dating of this prophecy. The Edomites live on the east side of the Dead Sea, where Jerusalem and Judea is on the west side of the Dead Sea. They're living in close proximity. There is a history between these brothers, and now it's come to a point of conflict, really strong conflict. Let's read, Alan, if you don't mind, the first two verses of this prophecy. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, 
We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. Obadiah is a prophecy of judgment against the Edomites. In these first two verses, we understand that God is going to allow the nations to rise up against Edom and come against them. Now, why is this? First of all, we're, we're not going to get to the reason until we get to verse 10. But in the next verse, you're going to see that there is arrogance and that there is pride within the Edomites, and they don't feel like they're touchable, that anyone can come against them because they live in the clefts. They live up in the rocks. They're in what's called present-day Petra today, and it's so hard to get to them. So there's a pride and there's an arrogance that we can protect ourselves. Nobody can come against us. Let's read verse 3. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who would bring me down to earth? This is their mindset, a false sense of security that they're self-sufficient. They cannot be penetrated by other nations because of the environment in which they live in. They live in the clefts of the rocks. They're able to hide. They have the high ground. They're able to withstand an invasion coming against them. And so there's an arrogance and there's a pride that is built up within the Edomites. Not anyone can conquer us. Sometimes when we look in a contemporary setting today, many nations have the same type of false security. Who can come against us? How can this take place? We have nuclear power. We have the strongest army in the world. There's not anyone that's going to be able to come against America. A lot of Americans think. China would say the same thing. Russia, these great nations that have great armies and great economies and things of this nature, they have a false sense of security because it's not in God. It's in themselves. And when it's in yourself, an arrogance and a pride will develop, and pride goes before the fall. That is a spiritual principle that you see throughout the Bible. So if you have pride in yourself and not in being humble before God, and you think that you're the wisest, the strongest, and and you're able to do anything if you put your mind to it, in a second you can be humbled. And right now, this is, I think, April the 30th, 2020. Here we're living in America, and we were having one of the greatest economies that we had ever had, the growth of the economy and interest rates, and everything was just flourishing. And in a few months' time, we see so much fear that has come into the Western society. We see how fragile we actually are and that we do need God. We're looking at the situation and people are living in fear where four months ago they were confident that everything was going to be okay. We have the strongest army. We have a democracy. We have the strongest economy. Everything's growing. My retirement funds, everything, everything's looking wonderful. And in four months' time, most people are living in fear, showing how fragile the world actually is. This is probably similar to the Edomites. They were wealthy. They had natural borders. They could defend themselves. They had the high ground. Who is going to come against us? And we don't need God. They were self-sufficient. 
and pride comes into the hearts of an individual or a people when they do not need God. They are self-sufficient. So in verse 3, God through Obadiah is saying, there's arrogance in your heart and you're deceived. You who live in the clefts of the rock, you have the high ground. In the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Who's going to come up here and bring us down? We are protected naturally. There's not any force that can come against us. There's arrogance and there's pride. Now let's look at verses 4 through 6 and let's read these verses. Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. In these three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, what we are seeing in verse 4, again, is the arrogance of the Edomites, but a warning in verse 5 about their hidden treasures and how they could be taken from them. But in verse 6, a direct prophecy that God is speaking through Obadiah when he says, Oh, how Esau will be ransacked. Here we understand that their hidden treasures will be found out. Now, let's read verses 7 through 9 as we continue with this prophecy that is coming against the Edomites. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, so that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. When we look at these verses, very specific, the ones that will come against the Edomites are their own allies. Now, if we put that in a contemporary setting today, we have arrogance, we have pride, we think we are powerful, we believe we have a great army, a great economy, who can come against us? And then we look at all the allies that we have in the world. Say if we were talking about America, all the allies, who among them are really our true allies? In fact, the ones that are aligned with us sometimes are our biggest enemies. When we look at that reality, this is what God is saying through Obadiah. It will be those that are friendly to you, those that are your allies that will come against you, And your downfall will be because of your pride and your arrogance and your trust in them instead of your trust in God. And when we do not align ourselves with God first, think about the destruction that comes about as we align ourselves with people around us, nations around us, institutions that we align ourselves with. Sometimes they will be the first that turn on us. When I look at America... I really try to think of who are our true allies within the whole world. And it's really hard to find a nation that is a true ally that really will stand with us during the difficult times. In fact, every time America falls down, they celebrate. Even our allies living overseas for many years, 
this is a reality. Even if we're in good relationship with them, even if we're trade partners, you see the celebration that takes place whenever America does badly. And so the Edomites have this arrogance and this pride within them, but God is saying your own friends are the ones that are going to turn against you, and that's how you're going to be destroyed. Why is this going to take place? This is going to be explained from verse 10 all the way through verse 14. These verses here get to the essence of everything about this prophecy, about what we should learn, specifically about our life and our actions and how we live our lives. Because the Edomites are going to commit great sin against God here, and God's judgment is going to come against them where the Edomites are never going to be a nation again in the future. And so let's look intently at verses 10 through 14, and then we're going to talk about active participation in sin and also passive participation in sin. And so let's read these verses. Because of violence to your brother, Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. It is very clear in verse 10, it's because of their violence against their brother Jacob. The Edomites are brothers of the Israelites. Now at this time, historically, you still have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, but many times within these prophecies, is still about the Israelites. One name is used. In fact, later on, after the house of Israel is destroyed, the northern kingdom, you see the name of Israel continually being used within prophecies. Even sometimes you'll see the house of Israel and the house of Jacob after Israel has been destroyed, the northern kingdom. God never forgot the name of Israel. And so many times within these prophecies, you'll see Jacob, or Ephraim, or Israel, continually being described even for Judah and Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And so here we're talking about an attack that is coming against Jerusalem, yet the name Israel is being used. Because of violence on your brother Jacob, Jacob is Israel, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. And I want us to listen to this warning here. This is a historical fact that the judgment of God came against the Edomites and Edom was destroyed and today Edom does not exist. Israel exists, but Edom has been destroyed forever. Now this violence that was done against Jacob, there are two parts to it. One is passively they were involved and one is actively they were involved in violence. But all of it was violence against the Jewish people, their brother. The city of Jerusalem was attacked. It was attacked by a coalition of the Philistines and Arab clans that joined together, formed a coalition, and attacked Jerusalem. And when this took place, if you look at verses 11 and 12, 
it was the Edomites that stood aloof, that they stood there and celebrated the destruction of their brother. Now, this is described as violence against their brother. So when we look at original intent, they were on the sideline celebrating, cheering about the destruction of what was taking place to their brother. It would be very similar today that if we saw our brother being attacked and we stood there and we did not help them and we celebrated and we looked at them and we cheered because of their destruction. This should never happen for us as the children of God. Whenever we see our brother being attacked, we should try to help them. Whenever our brother is coming, even if the judgment of God is upon them, we should try to help them in the sense of speaking what is right into their lives. And when they are destroyed, instead of celebrating, we should be mourning. This brings such a powerful principle to us today. When our brother is down, we are down. When our brother is rejoicing, we should rejoice. We shouldn't have jealousy against our brother. And what they are going through should be important to us. And even if they've done wrong and they're in judgment, we should not be celebrating that, but we should be trying to speak truth to them in love. And we should also be mourning with them when the destruction comes. For example, Alan, if we were physical brothers, we're brothers in the Lord, and you're going through a difficult time, but there's conflict. We grew up together, and we were jealous of each other, and there was conflict between us, and we're always comparing ourselves. Who has the bigger house? Who has the better car? Whose children are doing better in school? All those dynamics take place. And then one day I find out that you're going through a divorce. And instead of going to you and saying, listen, what are you going through how can I help you? How can I be with you during that time? Even if you're wrong, and even if you were in the wrong for everything that's happening in your life, I should not be celebrating that, but I should be mourning and weeping for you because you are my brother. Mm -hmm. This is the same principle that God is saying to the Edomites. And it's a powerful principle. Think about today in the Christian world, a ministry Something happens and someone falls and the ministry falls. And, and there's other ministries that look at that and they see the opportunity. Maybe they've been in competition with each other for audiences and popularity. And they look at that and they say, we told you so. God's judgment came against you. And maybe that is the case. But instead of mourning for them, they're celebrating for them and they're looking at how they can get all of their stuff. I have seen this even in my own lifetime with ministries that are supposed to represent the name of Jesus Christ. They didn't understand the principle that God was speaking through Obadiah to the Edomites. Your brother is being attacked. Your brother, violence is coming against them. If you stand aloof and you celebrate, you are part of the violence. You are part of the problem. And the judgment of God can come against your life just like it came against the Edomites. It should bring, Alan, a holy fear within us. I don't want to celebrate the destruction of anyone, not even my enemies, much less my brother. If my enemy curses me, I want to bless them. If my enemy is destroyed, I want to be someone that goes to them and tries to minister to them in order to lead them in the right way. How much more should I try to do that for my brother? Yeah, exactly. And, and just, Scott, uh, 
you could answer this question I was thinking about. So in Israel during this time when Jerusalem was destroyed, was this brought upon, you know, by the, by the Lord and it was something that they had done. So you mentioned that example earlier, if I was getting divorced, everything was my fault or, or somebody's doing something and you can really say God needs to judge this and, and some type of punishment, you know, would be valid. So in this case, was it valid for Jerusalem, according to God? And then were the Edomites rejoicing for that? And so even though it was something that they did deserve, they were still siding and aligning with the Arab clans against them when they should have been encouraging them and saying, repent and we'll be here for you. That's a great question that probably a lot of people are thinking about. But I'm going to answer it in two ways. If you go back to Second Chronicles chapter 21, you can get the context of what was taking place with this coalition between the Arab clans and the Philistines coming against Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be understood as Jacob, as Israel. But again, during that time frame, you have two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. But we're dealing with the context of the descendants of Jacob here. And in this context, Judah, Jerusalem, had not followed God in the way that is described after Jehoshaphat or Asa. But Jehoram, the leader in Judah, is following more of the ways of Ahab, which is representing the northern kingdom. In the whole history of the northern kingdom, there was not one king that followed the ways of God. It was a pagan society. And so because of their sin... God is allowing this coalition to come against Jerusalem. It's going to be ransacked. It's going to be destroyed. People are going to lose all of their possessions. People are going to be murdered. They're going to be killed because of their own sin. So our natural responses to that is that they deserve it. But what God is saying to the Edomites, they may deserve it. It may be their own fault. But you as a brother should not celebrate the destruction of your brother. And so when we look at that, the, the one way, yes, it's their own fault, but we shouldn't celebrate. How does that apply to me today? Again, let's go back to the, the understanding of you and I, if we were natural brothers. We are brothers in the Lord. But if you were a natural brother, and I believe this applies to brothers in the Lord because we are the family of God we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are one family. And say we are brothers, just brothers in the Lord. And you're out doing wrong. And you go through a divorce. Going back to that illustration again. I can come to you and rebuke you and reprove you and get on to you. And I can even say, Alan, this is your fault. What you sow, you shall reap. But at the same time, I should be mourning for you. I should be seeking a heart of repentance for you, and I should be praying for you, and together we're going to get through this. I should not be celebrating what you're going through. And I shouldn't be saying, I told you so, you're getting what you deserve. Because we are to walk with humility before God, and not with pride and not with arrogance, because what is happening in your life could also happen to me. So I should be thankful for the grace of God that I'm not going through this. And at the same time, I can rebuke you for your part in it, but I will never celebrate the destruction of my brother. If I celebrate the destruction of my brother, even if it's their fault, there is a warning from Obadiah 
that you should walk in a holy fear that the judgment of God could come against your life. And this is what is happening in this prophecy. So when you look at verses 11 and 12, we're not able to celebrate. We're not able to sit or stand on the side and look at it and not to help and try to help our brother. We should do everything to try to pull them up and to be able to be an assistance to them in their time of destruction. Now, it goes deeper than that in their sin. In verses 13 and 14, it's not passive participation, but it's going to become active participation. Again, look at verse 13. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you. Do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Of their disaster. The reason why he's saying this is probably because this is taking place by the Edomites against the Israelites. Verse 14. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. Now, some may look and say that God's warning them to not be actively involved as well, and that could be true. But as we look at this, if they are celebrating their destruction passively, why would they not take advantage of their destruction? And so I believe that there was active participation in this violence as well. Both are sin, both are wrong, both bring the judgment of God against them. And remember, if you look back into verse 10, because of your violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. This is how serious it is. And applying it to our lives today, many years later, we're looking at 2,800 years later plus, Never, ever celebrate the destruction of any brother. Never put yourself in that context. Never go home thinking, oh, this ministry, this brother, this sister, they fell down, and I'm celebrating and laughing about it with my wife and my children and saying, look what happened to them. I should go to my wife and children and say, let's pray for them, and let's get on our knees because our brother is down. We must go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Now let's go on to verse 15. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. This is the first time that we really see the concept of the day of the Lord within scriptures. It depends on how you date the book of Obadiah. But I feel like this is the first prophetic book that we're going to be dealing with chronologically. And we look at the day of the Lord. Most people that love to do word studies, they group words together or phrases or concepts together and they put it all in the same context. But the day of the Lord generally means the day of the vengeance of God when what was done that was evil and wrong, God's going to make right. And so if we see it within this context, it doesn't always have to be at the end of time. There are some contexts that the day of the Lord is the end of time, and that is the ultimate day of the Lord in which God makes everything right. The judgment, the vengeance, the salvation of God. Part of God's salvation is his vengeance and his judgment against the wicked. So in verse 15, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations, 
as you have done, it will be done unto you. Now, Jesus is going to flip this concept in the new covenant because what you have done shall be done unto you is don't do unto others what you don't want done unto yourself. But Jesus is going to flip this or to change this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Here is a warning and a rebuke from God through Obadiah, as you have done, Edomites, it will be done unto you. Your dealings will return on your own head. What you have done to your brother, Jerusalem, Judea, as you have celebrated passively their destruction, as you possibly participated in robbing them and stealing from them and cutting them off and putting them into prison, the same thing will be done unto you. And so from a negative sense, this warning, as you have done, it will be done unto you. From a positive sense that Jesus uses this understanding, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Your dealings will return on your own head. What you sow, you shall reap within your life. This is a principle that is true from the positive standpoint and from the negative standpoint. Both of these, this principle will go both ways. Don't do unto others that you don't want them to do unto you. And in a positive standpoint, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Both ways, this principle is true. Now, I want us to read verses 16 and 17 and look again at this judgment against the Edomites. Alan, if you could read. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Here we see that the Edomites were in Jerusalem celebrating on his holy mountain, probably talking about Mount Zion there, on the Temple Mount, celebrating what was taking place in Jerusalem. Things being stolen, people being killed, people going into exile. Probably you're looking at very bad things against women and children taking place, and they're on his holy mountain celebrating. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy, his mountain, and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Everything that is being done to them, being destroyed from them, God will return back to the people of Israel. And this is a promise of God. Now let's go to verses 18 through 21. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of Shephelah, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of the host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. So when we talk about the day of the Lord... It is judgment against the Edomites, and it's a restoration back to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, the people of God. Edom will be a stubble 
but God will rebuild and give back the possessions that they lost to the house of Jacob. Joseph will be a flame. The house of Esau will be a stubble. And they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Today, there's not one person on the face of the earth that can say, I'm a descendant of Esau. Historically, today, who are the Edomites? Where are they? We don't have an understanding of where they are today. But today, where are the descendants of Jacob? They're in their own land. They're in possession of Jerusalem. God has put Israel back together. The Lord has spoken. What God brings forth and speaks through an individual, when it's from him, it is yes, it is amen. And so the Edomites stood on Mount Zion, and they got drunk, and they staggered, but all the nations will come against them. Their own friends, their own allies will come against them, but the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but Esau will be a stubble. The Lord has spoken. There will not be a survivor from the house of Esau. Now, verse 19, then those of the Negev, the desert in the south part of Israel, will possess the mountain of Esau. As we go through this, this is going to be the original kind of boundaries of Israel. Esau is to the east. Negev is in the desert in the southern part of Judah. It's really interesting when the Edomites are driven out many years later by the Nabataeans, an Arab group that come against them, they drive them into the Negev. They come out of the mountains and they end up in the Negev. Later on at the time of Jesus, this is going to be called Edomian. And that's where Herod the Great is going to come. He's an Edomite and he's going to become the king of the Jews. But later on, they're going to be destroyed completely. And there's not any understanding of an Edomite today. So those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau. That area that today that we know as Petra will belong to Israel. And those of the Cephalah, the Philistine plain. Here the Cephalah is a hills, lush green area in the south central part that's going up against the desert of Israel. So it says, and those of the Cephalah, the Philistine plain. They will possess the Philistine plain. Also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. That is the north-central part of the nation of Israel. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. Benjamin, that's on the west side of the Jordan, will possess the east side of the Jordan. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. Zarephath is to the north and between Tyre and Sidon and today in modern-day Lebanon. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, which is probably a reference to Sardis, but in many ways representing the West, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. What this is saying is that the day of the Lord is going to put everything back in right order. Edom will be destroyed. God's judgment is coming against them. They will never even have a people known as the Edomites again in the future. 
But when it comes to the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, not only is God going to give them back their possessions, he's going to expand their land and what God intends for them to have. Even exiles coming from the west, coming back into the land, they're going to possess the land from the north to the east to the south to the west. Everything that God is going to do is to restore to them what he wants them to have. And so when we look at the day of the Lord, it's when God puts everything back right. And as we look at this prophet Obadiah and how God used him and how God spoke through him about judgment against Esau and the Edomites, it's a very strong warning. May we never celebrate the destruction of our brother. May we never be involved passively in violence against our brother actively in violence against our brother. May we never stand on the side celebrating this. God's judgment and God's warning will be against us. And when the day of the Lord comes, the day of the Lord is the vengeance of God. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's not in our hands, but ultimately vengeance comes from God. God will put everything straight. He will judge the wicked and he will take those that are in a covenant relationship with him that know him and he will put them exactly where they need to be. He will bring restoration, redemption, and salvation to their lives. We see this in the descendants of Jacob and it should speak volumes to us today of how we should live and the restoration power of God in our lives. Now, it's very unique as we're looking in the 9th century B.C., and now we're looking in the 21st century A.D., that when we look at these areas and we look at the Jewish people almost scattered around the world for almost 2,000 years, we see them back in the land. We see them in the Negev. We see them in the Cephalah. We do not see them as far north as described here or as far east. But what there is in this understanding that the land of the Philistines, the land of the Negev, the land east of the Dead Sea, from the east of the Jordan, as north, as far as southern Lebanon, there will be Jewish refugees coming even from the west that will come in and God will restore them. God will give them back their possessions and God will give them the land that he wants them to have. This is part of the day of the Lord. God is a God of restoration, complete restoration. And when you look at the prophet Obadiah, it's not just a judgment against the Edomites and a warning against them, but it's the salvation of God, of redemption of a people that had sinned against him. But God is a covenant-keeping God. And as he is promising through the prophet a day of restoration that everything that was taken from them is going to be given back to them again. God is faithful. And when you see that terminology within the Bible, whether you're looking in the Old Covenant or New Covenant, you better believe that it is true. God is faithful in every aspect of his character and who he is. If he can take a people that have been scattered around the world and because of their own sin and bring them back to the land to redeem them, to restore them inside, spiritually and physically to the land, if God said it will be done, it will be done. And if God will do that for the descendants of Jacob, believe me, he will do it for you in your own life. Some of you have destruction that has come about 
from your own life, from your own dealings within your own family. God is a God of restoration. He is a God of redemption. He is a God of salvation. Put your faith and trust in him through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate redeemer that has come from God. God himself came to us to bring salvation and redemption and restoration to our lives and every aspect of our lives. Let's put our faith and trust in God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God will restore. Heavenly Father, take the prophet Obadiah, and Lord, let us learn from this from a negative standpoint and from a positive standpoint. And Lord, let there be the conviction of your Holy Spirit over everything that was said in this time of teaching and use this for your glory. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.